Hi folks, I'm Wilfred Brimley. I'm a native of this valley. I was born here in 1934. My grandpa walked into the valley in 1867 dragging a handcart. So I've been around a while. And I know a couple of things. I didn't get the way I am from singing too loud in church or plowing it's too deep. And I've had some experiences that some of which I'm not that proud of. What I'm talking about when I was a kid was a fist fight at Fred and Kelly's drive-in or in the pool hall or buying 10 cent beer when we were too young. But what I'm talking about here now is methamphetamine. Welcome everyone. I think, um, you know, we're all having a really tough time over here because we've lost someone near and dear to us. Um, just an all time, one of the greatest Utahns ever. And I think that as the only Utah podcast, we should be paying tribute to this great man. What do you guys think? Who, we, who, who, who do we think we're talking about here? Could be anyone. He, he taught me it was okay to be weird. <laughs> Jordan, the floor is all yours, man. Have we're talking. It. Jordan is going to follow this up, I'm sure. But we're talking about Wilford. Excuse me. Anthony Wilford Brimley. He was a great man. He was the old man in every movie from about 1970 to the present. He was the postmaster on Seinfeld. He was the old manager from The Natural. He was also the crazy scientist from The Thing. And he also taught us a lot about diabetes. He really did. I, but not only that, we're talking about a man who also had very strong political beliefs like legalizing horse gambling in Utah and banning the ban of cockfighting in Arizona. He really wanted to continue cockfighting because he thought it would lead to other things which is we've all been we've all talked in depth about the slippery slope that is banning cockfighting and i think that we all need to be mindful of where that could potentially lead we never think about the economic benefits of having animals fight to the death and honestly i think if you look at it with especially with automation coming in and changing the economy altogether animals fighting to the death can be our new industrial revolution Truly. So, I mean, if the WWE is going to fold, how am I supposed to get my violence? I don't know. Quite honestly, all right, UBI, but you are only allowed to spend your $2,000 a month on cockfighting. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yeah. Or just like ran some sort of random sports uh, animal betting. There's got to be violence, and there's got to be someone, someone or something, some beloved wretched creature dying at the end of this battle. So I'm already cornering the market of the snapping turtle. So everyone, I want you to pick up your phone, email your legislature, and let them know to pass Wilford's law. We will have animals fight to the death. Check it often. And also watch for diabetes. 
We're going to have a quick moment of silence um, for this man who had a great mustache and was an accomplished harmonica player. Um, Remember, remember Wilford, Wilfred, Wilford, and um, I'll be damned. Let's have a, let's have a moment of silence. All right, Jordan, drop the beat, please. Miss you till I join you. y'all it's time it's time for another one um we got kyle here who else we got we got jordan here uh really not liking that salt lake's turning into uh weimar germany yep not not good (sighs) and it's it's greg and i'm not gonna fuck up the intro (laughs) yeah um that was amazing but yeah Last episode, we obviously had Utah Mads on. We had a great conversation, um, and things have only like kind of escalated in a lot of ways since then, um, which is crazy because you know it's been like three days or whatever. And so, yeah, let's you know things kind of got bad again um, since we've talked last. Fucking imagine that. Has, yes, um, I mean, there's a lot of bad, obviously, but. Uh, Cottonwood Heights PD is back at it again. They uh, not with the white vans this time. I don't think they've been kidnapping people into unmarked vehicles. But uh, goddamn! Oh, I see what you did there. See? Yep. Oh Absolutely. man, monster of the double entendre. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So there was some protests that took place. Uh, today's Monday. We had a protest on Sunday evening. But this had been something that had been taking place um, pretty regularly. It was kind of it's they called it dance, dance revolution. It was almost more of like a social gathering. Um, but this time was a bit more focused on a this protest was focused on the murder of Zane. Um, what's Zane's last name? I can't remember. James. Is it Zane James? Let me look it up. Yeah, it's Zane James. So um He was murdered by Cottonwood Heights PD back in uh, 2018. And so this protest, which included this time some of Aaron's fan, or excuse me, Zane's family members, like his, um, uh, his dad, Aaron, um, this protest included them. And I know people who were there and I follow them online and I saw plenty of videos um, of how quickly this thing escalated, like immediately. Um, there were people who, including Utah Mads, who talked before the protest saying Utah, or Cottonwood Heights is notoriously bad, which we, those of you who live in Utah, know. Um, and that uh, we'd probably need a lot of people because they're going to probably get violent pretty quick. And they did. And for those who don't know about Cottonwood Heights, it's a rich white neighborhood that really wants to stay a rich white neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. So basically this thing heated up pretty quick. Um, 
I'm not sure what the I, I saw some of the people who were defending the cops. The biggest thing they could come up with were was that people were walking in the streets or blocking traffic or touching cars. I saw or someone and someone threw a water bottle. And if someone throws a water bottle to protest, um, which if even if it were directed at the, at the police, but there's like I saw videos from the event and there were people spraying each other with water because it was like 110 degrees yesterday. Um, basically, uh, if as soon as a water bottle's thrown, that apparently just gives carte blanche to cops to just go fucking beast mode on protesters with pepper spray, beating the shit out of them. I don't know how many videos um, are out there, but I've seen a, a quite a few of people being violently apprehended by police. Um, just yeah, and, and again, for like no Greg other said, reason than like existing and protesting. Like Greg said, this is in a rich white neighborhood. So um, I heard that from people who were there that there were neighbors outside. If anyone's gone to any of these protests, there's like people who are in like apartments or whatever that are outside, like looking on at the protest. And that was the same thing here in Conwood Heights, except it's all very suburban. And apparently people were um, quite happy neighbors were quite happy with the with the police arresting all of these um violent terrorists quite honestly for throwing water bottles and dancing or whatever they were doing um for the for the record i've been to a couple of these protests before and there's been nothing but peace it's actually been like a really wonderful wonderful time people get together they dance they celebrate they protest and it's kind of a big party while also being uh, a, a piece of activism and spreading the word and and letting voices be known. And there's been there's been no there's been no violence. There's been there's been really nothing but peace and just having a good time. Like it's a party in the street that's ra again raising awareness. But they made the mistake of doing it in like the one city that wants right. to be separate from the rest of Salt Lake County because of how much of a rich white enclave it is. I mean, that was this whole reason why they broke off from Unified Police Department. That was the reason why they broke off from most of the county government too, just to have their own city, because they realized they could control their own like property tax base and all that. This is like probably the most like fascistic part of Salt Lake County. Yeah, that's totally and, fair. Yep. And they've been just like notorious this whole time. Um, Zane James, the one who was uh, murdered, he, I, I, I forgot this even happened, but I remembered when um, he is one of the people who's uh, one of the murals um, at the site on 9th South. And I can't remember which West that is. Um, I think it's like 8th South and 3rd West. 8th South. Right, yeah. by, right by Fisher Brewery. Yeah. Yep. Across the from from Fisher. So he's one of those guys um, that's been um, that's had their portrait done in on that mural. Um, and this was a murder that took place. I, I, I think he I think he would be 22 yesterday. That's why this protest was focused on him is that it was, um, I believe, his birthday yesterday. Um, so I think he would have been 22. And this happened back in 2018. So the police murdered. 20-year-old, uh, um, and again, this was one that the DA did absolutely nothing about, which is quite the pattern that we've seen. Um, and so now, like, I mean, the violence that took place that the cops did against people who were just peacefully protesting, um, 
they basically tried to pull the whole like bureaucratic reason why they were able to like beat the shit out of someone um, and arrest them for doing nothing. And it's basically that the protesters didn't have the correct permits or or whatever. Um, So that basically gave them all the permission they needed to just fuck shit up. And um, yeah, so I, I've seen the name of the, of the police chief. Um, I, Jordan will talk about the police chief here in a sec, but uh, basically this is a man who I've heard very bad things about. Even like local journalists are talking about who he's the, um, the worst cop in the state. And I didn't know what he looked like, but Jordan, I think he can paint a pretty nice mental picture here of what we're dealing with, with this, um, this thug police officer. So we're dealing with police chief Robbie Russo. He's a, uh, he's a big boy. Um, the only thing I can really say is, you know, you know, you ever see like a really fat bulldog who just looks like this, just struggling for breath, like every single second of the day. And you're just like, dear God, put it out of its misery. That's what Robbie Russo looks like. And he's a he's a hell of a guy. Uh, right now, he's currently in a lawsuit with his own city because he believes that the city council was trying to wrongfully terminate him, even though he still has his job. So they were just the attempt of a of a wrongful attempted attempted wrongful termination was enough to bring a suit against. Yep, I got the article right here. Police Chief Robbie Russo alleges Councilwoman Tali Bruce, by the way, she got punched in the throat at that same protest, by the way, and others publicly called his integrity into question and took careful, coordinated action to form allegiances and wrongfully terminate him. He seeks damages of more than $500,000, according to a suit filed in Salt Lake City's 3rd District Court. He so, damages for... Uh, for a, a, for allegedly being attempted to be fired. Like, I don't even fucking get it. Yeah, in addition to Bruce and Cottonwood Heights, the suit lists as defendants 10 additional unnamed employees. Russo alleges they defamed him and purposely sought to cause him emotional distress, violating his contract and sharing confidential information about him. But they're the city council, though. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a council system there, too, so... The council can fire him at any time oh my with, God. without cause. Like, I mean, well, I mean, that's that's pretty emblematic of the mindset that all cops have is that they basically have zero accountability to anyone, even including the people who were directly like um, while, responsible for their employment. While also always being a victim. Yep. Oh, always. Like biggest babies on earth. Um, they, um, yeah, like was just mentioned the councilwoman that he's accused accusing of um attempting to get him fired or whatever um she was at the protest she filmed a video um she got punched in the throat and pepper sprayed and she was she posted a video from her car she was on her way to get um medical treatment for getting punched in the throat by a cop and having her head hit the ground um yeah so she was like crying in her car it was really sad but like as I mentioned, she's a council member who's theoretically um, kind of uh, one of the people we've put or people in Cottonwood Heights have put in charge of people like um, the pigmen. And um, yeah, she was on her way to the hospital and like crying. And she said, I can't believe this is Cottonwood Heights. I can believe it's Cottonwood Heights, but like uh, 
point made, I suppose, that like um, they're just straight up assaulting people regardless. Someone threw a water bottle, somebody offended them, somebody said fuck you to their face, and then they're just like, this this is violence committed against me so I can do violence against anyone else. I was emotionally driven to just take my nightstick and just bash your skull in. I'm sorry, I didn't want to do it, but I was sad. And the thing about Cottonwood Heights, too, is this is a city that's always kind of used its police force as a cudgel against anything they see as any sort of, like, detrimental force towards the city, too. Like, uh, for example, Canyon Inn, which is at the ba- well, bar at the mouth of, like, Big Cottonwood Canyon, was just, just targeted by police for years trying to shut it down for, like, a for mm-hmm. developers to move in there and take it over and then build yeah. it into something else. Yeah, that little, that stretch of 7200 South was known for how many people it would pull over. And it was just like a designated DUI zone where like, if you didn't have a DD or if you even had like a single drink, you pull out of the Canyon Inn, you were going to get pulled over guaranteed. And they were yep. pulling people over. It's right next to Porcupine right there. They would pull people over there all the time. And it was a legitimate hazard. Cottonwood Heights has the highest dismissed DUI rate in the state because of that too. Yeah. Just they, pulling literally everyone over. Literally everyone over. They have like 19% of like DUIs dismissed. Well, the next jurisdiction that had the highest level was Salt Lake city with four. Yeah. So you can see that this is a city that loves to use its police in pretty abusive and horrific manners. Yeah. Um, and speaking of which, I mean, it's good that we're talking about all these horrific things that are taking place, um, you know, because I think it's 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 good that we have someone who may or may not have endorsed Pete Buttigieg on our side. And that person, of course, is Mayor Mendenhall. Um, they, she, she rules. She endorsed she coming her. to save the day. She endorsed Pete Buttigieg the weekend before he dropped out. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> embarrassing. Um God damn, just so embarrassing. But basically, she released a police reform executive order, um, which we know, obviously, this is going to make huge waves and it's going to be it's going to do so much good. You'll get the part like you'll get the point where cops will. I mean, as as Joe Biden has said, um, we need the cops to shoot people in the leg instead of the heart because that will solve the problem. And that's, that, that's, that's really that the core of the problem, which brings us into our next topic, which we're going to go over quickly is aim so, high by aiming low America. Aim high by aiming low. <laughs> the, the nominee of the democratic party, the party of Antifa terrorists, the party of the radical um, Bolshevik Bernie comrade Cortez, as I've heard recently called, um, we're talking about Joe Biden and Joe Biden, he, you know, is the, he's the nominee. He's been in hiding. God bless his soul. Of course he's been in hiding and he's his basically is fucking gazpacho. He's writing out the rest of this year, um, uh, right into the election in he's likely all things are looking like he's going to be Donald Trump having done almost nothing, which is incredible. So also, if you think about it, since the quarantine kind of started back um, however many months ago, um, that distance amount of months, six months ago or five months ago, uh, we're looking into the inauguration or a new president in that next amount of time, five months from now or six months from now. 
we're going to have a new president and it's probably going to be Joe Biden, which is the most hilarious outcome possible, which is probably why it's going to happen. Um, and in order to make us you know, feel better about this choice, we had a really hard fought primary. We really put it all out there for the for the team, but we're all on the same side or whatever. So um, as as Bill Clinton said at John Lewis's funeral, um, you know, it was just like a it was a family fight. And we're very thankful that it was put to an end so that Biden, you know, the adult in the room could take charge. So um, Biden's going to be president. And to make us feel better about that is that is this incredible group that we've seen. We've seen incredible groups rising like powerhouses like the Lincoln Project. We have a new one in, in the ring. And it's set like up a for phoenix Biden. from the ashes, like a phoenix from the motherfucking ashes. We're talking oh. settle for Biden or Biden. This is, of course, a grassroots group of former Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders supporters. And these people recognize Joe Biden's many flaws, but they know that our nation will not survive four more years of Donald Trump. His brain is gazpacho. Yes. So on, of course, I I agree that it's important to to be Donald Trump. Um, But the absolute deep sadness that require the people building this <laughs> cell for Biden coalition is just so amazing to me. I'm on like, the Instagram you- page right now and it just makes me want to go reach for a cop service weapon. Yes. Just it is it is dark and I just like I I don't know if I can live <laughs> with myself anymore. It's like seeing the ring video. When I, when I first saw this, I really thought it was a parody because we're getting memes like they'll go they'll go on Instagram and they'll post things like you got to be an adult, vote for Biden or this. This feels uh, like a Vic Burger okay, thing. Fine, I guess Biden. No, it definitely feels like a Vic Burger thing. Like, so oh, for, for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Like there's a picture here of like Elizabeth Warren that just says she's settling for Biden. Why can't you? <laughs> It's like, oh, I, I love the uh, I mean, it, it really is so funny um, and so sad. But like, like I saw one that was like, um, I think this person was wearing a settle for Biden shirt or whatever in a store. Or it was probably just a made up little like scenario that they like to picture. But somebody said, like, fuck Joe Biden. And then this person said, shrug, yeah, totally. But also, like, we need to, we need to be Trump. Which, oh, man, it's so sad. It's super cucked. It's really cursed. And um, <laughs> I don't even know what else to say about it. Like, Our standards have, are very low. We have the lowest fucking possible <laughs> standards that, like, we have to be the adults in the room so we can vote for a fucking war criminal who basically invented mass incarceration with the 94 crime bill. His, the bar is underground and I still don't think I can clear it. I know it's so bad. It's been a long time since I played limbo and I I know for a fact I can't go that low. It's like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously fuck Trump. We need to, he needs to lose, but like this type of, um, just laying and rolling in the dirt and just letting people kick mud on you is just so sad. And I hate that we're here seeing as where we oh. were. I'm remembering how I felt uh, after Bernie won Nevada. And I'm just like thinking about how more just how 
utterly deeply depressed i am <laughs> since then yeah, bernie winning nevada was really just like the new year's eve scene from boogie nights i know i was really drunk one night and i tweeted um <laughs> i tweeted oh my god i'm really drunk bernie's gonna win and i'm thinking about that i think about that tweet often because i remember how how purely i felt that like momentum at that it's point like- I got a text from my mom who was a lifelong conservative and I finally had convinced her to leave the party and and she donated to Bernie Sanders campaign. It's the first Democrat she's ever given money to. She texted me after Nevada and was like, holy cow, like he could actually win. And like that, that energy, that enthusiasm, it was so exciting. And then it just all turned to this volcano of shit. Well, we just underestimated the real raw power that is default Democratic candidate. So it really is. I, but the reason like this thing, I mean, this Biden shit is, is super in the news. Another another thing that came up is that he is that basically there's no plans to have a debate between Trump and and Biden, which is which is the funny, best strategy the biden campaign was. could ever have it's all i want oh there's no there is zero incentive for biden to get on stage um but at like at the same time again we need the sun's debate that should happen there's no reason for that not to happen we need hunter biden versus donald trump jr um or even eric i would take eric but he's such a fucking sad sack of uh, like anti-charisma that that would even be worse but um so we're gonna we're not gonna get the debate, unfortunately. I no. highly doubt that's gonna happen. But um, yeah, oh. shout out to Joe Biden who's in his basement. Still. I, I saw the worst one off of this page too, and it's just like, why are you voting for this guy then? If Joe Biden yeah. died, I wouldn't shed a tear, but I will sure as hell vote for him if it means getting rid of Trump. It's like, if you don't care if this guy live or, lives or dies, then what are you even bothering with this about? Like, are they that fundamentally different if you really just, like, don't care if Joe Biden dies? Which which brings me to my point as well, is that not only is Biden incredibly uninspiring, he's also just a total piece of shit. <laughs> and, like, has been, has been behind the most destructive policies of the past 40 years and is was was voted for the iraq war and was chairman of the chairman of the foreign relations committee of the senate during the iraq war like this is a man who's responsible for over a million dead iraqis like he is an evil evil person and yes trump is a fascist but biden if Trump is a fascist, then Biden is diet fascism. And being forced to settle between fascism and diet fascism or the lesser of two evils still means fascism and evil wins, which I say, fuck that shit. Yeah. Joe Biden um, was known as the Sander from MBNA. Like that's that's how horrible this guy is. Like the he's the reason why you can't declare bankruptcy on your credit cards or your student loan because – his bank friends just like gave him all the money possible. Like say like, no man. And he sold out cheap too. That's the thing. Like Trump. That's, that's, that's why that's what's so funny about him is that he did sell out for so cheap. He was always been known as the poor Senator or whatever, despite having his soul to soul the most. And that's almost the thing I think that's most admirable about Biden is that I think he genuinely thought he was like doing the good thing because it made his friends feel good. And every single point of his 
like oh, every no. decision he made. You're totally right. Like he probably like got like a Citibank <laughs> slicker or something like that too. It's like that's right. I'll just uh, I'll like, vote this generation yeah. to debt slavery for the rest of their lives. There we go. He's like he made a new connection that he can like go hang out on like the beach at in like in like dirty Maryland or whatever. Yeah, um, Citibank just just mails him the suckers that they give little kids every time you go to the teller. Yes, dude. <laughs> there's a oh, there's a great place in Providence he probably goes to that like they they make a steak for him like that's that's done well done because he's an old guy and probably doesn't eat raw meat but you know this guy from uh from Chase Bank was just like really cool to him and like yeah he he, he comped the meal and that that was really cool and, and you know what old man honor from Rhode Island I had to vote to make sure that student loans would would then be like fifty percent interest for the rest of time. Listen. Listen, Jack, the steak was really good, and he paid for it. Oh, my God, it's so good. So, yeah, n- no Biden-Trump debate. We're not going to get that that incredible television. Um, but, like, but speaking of television, what's our second favorite thing to watch on television other than uh, brains dissolving? Uh, going back to uh, our beginning uh, cockfights. Damn. Yep, cockfighting. Okay. That's yes. that's obviously second. I don't know which channel that is, but our third favorite thing. It's not legally broadcasted on broadcast networks. <laughs> it's on C- C-SPAN too. Um, we, no one will ever find favorite, it there. Our second, third favorite thing is watching the Utah Jazz on on TV. Let's play it, some basketball. Let's let's is, play some fucking basketball. It, is and, that our favorite thing to watch on television? Is. Because judging by like anger levels and all that, I don't know if that is necessarily it, the case. I hate watch it and I hate love it. Um, but basically, we're gonna talk jazz. We're gonna talk some sports. We're gonna talk more. Um, we're gonna talk sports journalism um, with our friend Ben Dowsett. And we are, have a little interview with him that we're going to play at this point. And, um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to get into it. All things jazz. We're going to talk Spencer Cox, um, our favorite guy. And we're going to talk uh, Pac-12 as well. So uh, hope you enjoy the fourth following interview. Let's play some basketball! Ben. Tell, tell us about yourself. We, uh, I mean, we, we know you as, as the incredible Twitter presence that you are. So give us, give us the bigger picture. There's one, that's one word for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, a, I'm fairly, fairly simple dude outside of like basketball and whatnot, which in itself is fairly simple. Uh, yeah, I have a separate day job from, uh, from basketball, but it's also just writing. It's content writing for an SEO company. It's really, really easy and mindless. And I do it from my house and have for like, since well before COVID. Nice. So okay. Can be really flexible with my schedule. Could back when there was jazz games to go to, I could go to jazz games and do all that fun stuff and still keep alive. That Maybe somebody will hire me to cover basketball full time someday. Yeah, so you are you still do part time stuff for the yeah. Uh, that's it's part time and it's it's very part time for me at this point. Like, uh, COVID actually sort of fucked me. I had a it sucks. I had a uh, a story in and accepted with ESPN, like ESPN really? proper, uh, really big feature story that would have run in late March. It would have been on the homepage and everything, like a really really big story something I've been working on for like a year and a half. And then the day that I, that we agreed on the story was the same day that Rudy tested positive and the league shut down. Oh, fuck. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I know that like other people have been impacted far worse by COVID. So I'm certainly not crying over it, but it's right. like, 
that it sucked. It's shitty timing, but I, so yeah, I'm pretty much just like, you always keep your head up because opportunities may arise and it's like, I love my current situation. I'm comfortable with it. So totally. yeah, that's, that's me in terms of like life. I don't know. I'm fairly, a lot of my Twitter personality like is an extreme version of what I am. It's, it's very extreme because I'm angrier on Twitter than I am in real life. Although I, think I get that, angry when I play sports. I think that goes for pretty much all of us. So I think we all understand that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. I really, uh, I really like hockey besides basketball. I'm a big Leafs fan, Toronto Maple Leafs. So yeah. So basically, anyone that's following you on Twitter sees sees the Jazz. They see the Leafs, um, but they, you know, they see you getting into politics, which is a dangerous game for anyone who covers sports to start tweeting anything like somewhat political on their on their account. I've seen it like especially with Utah sports journalists. Um, like when like Tony Jones would tweet something, his replies are always fun. Um, Why don't you guy, just stick to sports? Yeah. It's not, um, it's not hard. Just stick to sports. This is, dude, uh, who's this is my guy? outlet. Yeah. We have, um, what's Eric's last name? I can't remember. Eric Walden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Eric Walden, especially. I'm, I know, I don't know if, what, how, Oh, it's cause he has the trip jazz handle. Right. So like anyone who's followed the jazz over the years um, has followed that handle. Cause it's passed off by whoever's like the main beat writer or whatever. Yeah. And um, dude, his replies when he would say anything like, I mean, start, I don't even know when it started, but anything vaguely political that he says, people just go so hard at him. Um, so I think being like following you on Twitter has been entertaining for me because I love to see how many, um, how many like fucking losers are in your replies (laughs) (laughs) fighting with you over just like complete nonsense. Like the most, like, I mean, just super obvious everything that's happening right now, just making like some sort of observation about like you know, the incredible disaster that's been coronavirus, both at a national and local level and literally every state, but like, um, just people just take issue with every single thing. And you, I, to a lesser extent, you guys get the stick to sports thing quite a bit, which always makes me laugh. And some yeah, of those it's funny, I actually get stick to sports less, or maybe I don't see it as much because I use my mute button extremely liberally, but like, I actually don't get stick to sports as often. I get it. Everybody gets it. Like it, yeah. it's in my, that it, it does sort of what I do. I don't know. And it's funny also. Cause like, I didn't used to be, I didn't used to voice these kinds of opinions as much on it. Not because of any kind of like fear or like attempt to, to further my career. I'm, that's just not my thing. Like, I don't know if that makes me stupid. There's definitely some people in the media industry that would think I'm, I'm stupid for yeah. that. It's like, I'm not, I'm not about that. It's got my name and picture on the, on the thing. I'm going to put my opinions out Totally. Like, that, that, you know, I, I guess there is a world where that could change if somebody had, like, I do think it's, it's a tougher situation for someone like Eric, who you mentioned, cause he's got yeah. the, like the trip jazz handle is one that multiple people have had. It's sort of affiliated with the, the newspaper, et cetera, et cetera. But like, especially as long as I'm like a part-time person in this and everything like that, like I'm, I'm not going to sacrifice like being, especially as it's, you know, it, it, this, the world has just gotten so fucked in general yeah, that I'm like, right. 
it's some of it is not being able to help myself like to a certain degree because I don't a lot of the time I don't like the vitriol that ends up coming from it like I don't always enjoy my the yeah it doesn't feel productive ever like and no one really ever feels better because no one's mind is changed but like we don't i don't use twitter to change minds it's like i just have this constant stream of shit like in my brain and like Mm -hmm. and i i feel irresponsible if i don't know what's going on but like trying to know what's going on constantly especially this year has just been like deeply unhealthy and so if i I put that on facebook i'm gonna get murdered so like i I don't don't want to do that Again, shout out to the mute button. I, I don't have a Facebook anymore or an Instagram anymore. Facebook definitely because I it was either I have to unfriend like all my family members or delete my Facebook. So that's I chose delete my Facebook. And then I deactivated my Instagram too, which I have always used for like photography stuff, which is funny. But like there are so many like idiot people in Utah getting into like QAnon shit right now. And they think like that Wayfair is trafficking children in tables or whatever that like, I just had to give up on that too. So I I'm, I'm full Twitter right now. And I'm, I'm, I think I've got to the point where it's a pretty nice, comfortable echo chamber for me. And yeah, the mute good. button really does the trick. It really does. It's great. It's such a great tool. I mean, it's also great because you don't give anyone like the satisfaction of a block too, where they can just like, screen cap the blocks like oh i guess i showed you or something so it's it's perfect because you know you're never going to respond to them again and they'll just keep yapping off in the replies i block certain people when i can tell like that they really it's a rare situation these days but like when you can tell that they really do want to keep following me for my content and my like the stuff i tweet about the jazz and whatnot and like if I want to be very vindictive, that's when the only time <laughs> you take I'm that like, away from. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I love that. Um, I mean, speaking of Twitter beefs, you <laughs> we started talking again the other day because there's been some, um, you know, Utah's obviously handed, handled coronavirus just flying colors. Um, and by flying colors, I mean, it got the person in charge elected as the next governor. But that was basically the main goal. Um, at this point, like coronavirus um, has been just generally accepted as like we're not getting a statewide mask mandate. That's for sure. Um, people are because, you know, they are desperately trying to send uh, teachers, staff and children back to school this fall. Um, and in, in so much so that Governor Herbert last month um back when we were like pushing nearly a thousand cases a day um he said like we've got to get our daily or our weekly seven day average of tests down below 500 like just for positive numbers which obviously the numbers are a very shocking thing but for those who are also paying attention to like the percent of positive tests um that's also really big because you can control how many uh, number or how many tests you administer, but you can't control how many of those come back positive. And so it appeared as though that the state was definitely trying to control um, the number that they could control. And it started, I think, back in the beginning of July when they um, seemingly closed some uh, strategically placed testing locations in parts of the valley that were being hardest hit by coronavirus, but then um, setting that arbitrary number of cases as the goal is um, 
seemed a little weird. And I think that as we got to the end of July, it seemed to be a very convenient situation, despite the fact that the positive number, uh, the positive percentage wasn't going down. So tell us about what you were seeing, because I know this is kind of what got, you know, Twitter heated again, is that Spencer Cox, friend of the pod, um, got a little mad at you and unfollowed you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. And look, I'm, you know, it's a, it's, I, I think it should be clear. And this is something I repeat on my Twitter all the time is that I, I was, I was pretty supportive of the state's initial response to this, because I think objectively speaking that you did, especially relative to the, the country at large, they did it. Especially Republican states also. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, especially when you, yeah, when you put it into that context for sure. And like they did, a, we did a very good job with the initial stay at home uh, and the initial phases towards that uh, right after that. And then things started to go a bit sideways kind of toward election season there. Uh, and it, uh, this is where it gets a little difficult for me in general, because I'm not like I, anyone again who follows me for a long time or knows my opinions is I'm, I'm not big on the whole like conspiracy theorist line yeah. of thinking for the most part, especially the ones that aren't founded in any kind of fact. Yeah, because again, like this is kind of all just like trends we've been seeing, not necessarily we're like we can point to some person right, or like, very I'm specific. Not, yeah. Yeah. And no one here is saying like, I, I I don't know that Gary Herbert is like, you guys got to test fewer people. Like, unlike yeah. the president, he has not come out and physically said that on television. So which it, Trump makes it easier for us when he does stuff like that. But the uh, the, you know, whatever's happening whether whether there's a concerted effort or whether there's some kind of issue with testing supply any kind of any kind of of claim regarding we just don't have as much demand for testing is not one that i'd buy because just enough there's been enough reporting and i've heard enough personally and the test percentage which we can see which you referenced continues to go up recently in recent days that's that it's fairly obvious that like, even as we're down to half the tests we were doing a few weeks ago on a daily basis, the, 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 the numbers are going down in terms of a daily uh, new test or new case rate, as you said. And that's, I don't know. I, I find that definitely unfortunate to whatever, whatever degree the, the, the guy, the people who are in charge are involved in that or have the responsibility for it, which I think it's clear they do. Yeah. It's their responsibility to make sure that lots of tests are being done. And I, I don't know, it's, and it definitely as regarding the, you know, the Twitter interactions with Spencer and things like that, I, I found them a little unfortunate with regard yeah. to the, you know, using something as an excuse that, you know, didn't end up happening. Regarding yeah. The- so what he said was like, basically the, <clears throat> the low testing is very adamant that this was because of the holiday weekend, which he's referring to the 24th um, pioneer day, um, and reference back to like the following week of the 4th of July or whatever. But, um, as, so he, he's, he like called, I don't know. He said something like basically called you a conspiracy theorist. I can't remember what he exactly said. And then said like, you know, he, and then a few days later, um, it turned out that the testing numbers still stayed low. The positive percent percentage or positive percentage went up. Um, but those testing numbers are super low. Like we're seeing like only like 3000 something tests a day, which is down a ton from the previous um, weeks that's been going down. And so, like you said, it's not like governor Herbert went on TV and was like, we need to be testing less, but it's just like little things that they 
do that make testing inaccessible or hard, whether it's closing down locations. But in my experience, and apparently others I saw on Twitter, is that you know people aren't being explicitly told that they're being denied tests. I think, I guess it depends on the situation. But for me, um, I've I've been tested twice now, and the uh, the one of the times I had to straight up lie and say what my symptoms were because I was I thought I'd been um, I had been exposed but um, I didn't have symptoms yet. So I was telling them that I was like, I think I've been exposed. And they're like, well, do you have symptoms? And I said, not yet. So I'm having super mild symptoms. And they're like, well, if you get tested too early, then like there's a higher chance for a false negative. So like you shouldn't come in yet. Like you shouldn't get tested yet or anything like that. And then um, one time when I did, and then when I called back again and then I ordered a test at the University of Utah instead of IMC, um, I basically just lied my way into getting a test, went out to one of the clinics, um, took about – it was a weekday because I, I, I didn't have a job at this point. I had been famously laid off. But I um, it was like just a weekday morning, and I waited like an hour and a half in a line to get tested, which seems like a really long time. Um, there's just like little things like that, that keep popping up where it's like, they just, if it's slightly inconvenient, then like you're getting, you're getting some suppression there. And this is coming from a state that, that bragged very, very eloquently, loudly and proudly with Silicon slopes as well about how great our testing capacity was. And they were like, we want to like Spencer Cox was like testing, testing, testing. They wouldn't shut the fuck up about testing in the beginning. Um, which was good, which I was happy about, but that seemed all that pressure and that uh, supposed leadership we saw kind of died out right in the couple weeks leading up to the primary and then has been completely absent since. I know that we've mentioned that they haven't had a, a coronavirus task force meeting since the beginning of June. Um, and with school coming up, that seems fucking crazy to me. I don't know. <laughs> so... Like you said, it's just like a lot of things like um, it's just like these trends. So I, I honestly don't know what to really think about it. It's just like it's really convenient. The, the, and the, the larger unfortunate part in this is that like whoever's responsibility it is or whoever you want to think you can you want to put it on, whether it's the state, the federal government whoever the fact that we're still you know the, the the stories that you just told about your testing experience which are obviously replicable not just around the state but around the country are that like you can look at at those and they're everywhere yeah and they're it's august we've mm -hmm. known about this since like mid-february or and had a really good idea about it since like mid-march or so how like how shit it's nuts how like in the end, whoever's again, fault it is, how are we still like at a point where it's difficult for someone who's been clearly like had it some kind of exposure or some kind of risk level to get tested or to get quick results to get to have like, well, how do we have basically no real contact tracing? I guess we have some, the state right. talks about having some, I, I, I don't know. I the guess. state was also, I, this is a slight tangent, but they um, are closing down some like low income health facilities in Provo and Ogden because of like a $2.5 million budget cut. But the state spent $6.5 million on a contact tracing app, which was a complete fucking failure <laughs> and doesn't do anything and um, isn't being used for contact tracing. So there's just like little shit like that that just drives me insane. So um, yeah, we're not doing, and like the fact that we can't get a state mask mandate is so 
fucking aggravating, but it's been like all of the responsibility has been passed down over and over, like down. Now we're, we're literally taking this on county by county as if there's just these invisible walls keeping everyone out of each county and like it can be managed at that level. It's, it's, it's absurd. Um, but something that Spencer said that really bugged me in that conversation to you is that like, um, people were sharing anecdotes about like their testing experiences. And Spencer said, we don't control them talking about, um, about like the university of Utah or, um, Intermountain healthcare or whatever in their testing protocol. And it's like, you control them when you obviously want to reap the praise, but like you don't control them when shit's like getting weird and people are having bad experiences. It's just like the perfect, I mean, it's that ideology just drives me insane. Just taking credit for the good things, but then shirking all responsibility because you think government's bad anyway, Spencer Cox, like government's bad. So like definitionally the government doing less and you not having responsibility um, is very convenient in certain times when you're not trying to win an election. Yeah. Victory um, has a thousand fathers and defeat is an orphan. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so a big thing, like we, we had a jazz game tonight. Um, the jazz, I just lost to the Lakers. I turned off a little early. Sorry. Um, I assume, assume we lost to the Lakers. They lost. Yeah. Yeah. 116 yeah. to 108. Yeah. So, um, we also want to talk about like um, first, just like the bubble in general, and what are your thoughts about like how NBA has handled like coronavirus so far, um, and all of that. I mean, I think I think it's really impressive, honestly. Like, I think it's hard to have any real other opinion. Like, okay, as yeah. far as the there, obviously there there are ethical parts of this. Yeah, like getting it, out yeah. from like the fact that honestly, in this really is kind of a stupid idea and the whole thing is just like ridiculous and like the parent it's that the players giant, being away. It's a from. giant cash grab. Yeah. Like no, I do face, honestly like I, I do have my thoughts on that, which they may I don't know. Do these like make do these air conservative? Like do these make me like five percent conservative in that like to some level the, the and it's not as simple as the following statement, but the the society's failures around it are not the responsibility of the NBA. Yeah. Like, the reason yeah. why Germany's sports restarts were able to go so well so quickly was because Germany had its collective shit together and their, their country was in good shape relatively. And like that, so it wasn't a societal burden to have those things. Yeah. And it is here because our country has fucked up so colossally in terms of how we're getting everything going. So like, and that, yeah, that's, that's not fair. to say I have no sympathy for that angle, which I do. And I, and to that end, I, you know, the NBA providing a whole several facilities and several testing programs locally and to communities uh, where they have teams is good. They, you wish that they could do more, obviously like and yeah. more is better in any circumstance. I, I think they've managed from that perspective though, about as well as you can. And then obviously from inside the bubble. I mean, this, this is the, this is the gold, this along with the, the German tournaments where they have mm -hmm. at least, I think the Bundesliga soccer's had a couple positives over the course of the tournament, but the basketball league did their whole restart tournament, 10 teams wow. yeah. with no, no positives. And the NBA is obviously on that trajectory right now. Like, and if the NBA does it with 1500 people in the bubble and especially if they can manage the next big crux point is when the families come at the end of the first round 
Well, there's a few crux points, but that like people, the players starting to get a little bored is definitely yeah. one of them, like letting their guards down. We saw the league had a thing. They sent another reminder out today, like, hey, remind everybody to wear their masks. Like we still need to keep the vigilance high, which I think is good. Like the league knows they need to keep people up on that. You can settle into a bit of complacency. There's that. And then there's when the families arrive after the first round, which is, but again, they've got, yeah, I didn't even know they were doing that. They're doing after, it's after the first round, but they've got a good protocol in place for it. Cool. They've got the family member. It's well, it doesn't even have to be a family member for most players. It probably will be, but it could, for a younger guy, it could just be like a friend or a, a girl or a girlfriend, whatever, who knows, yeah. but like they can, the person who's coming has to quarantine for some X period. It's at least like four or five days in their own city being tested and then they have to come to Orlando and quarantine for another like three or four days being tested and then they can enter the bubble only after all that so like I mean again the resources thing is one side of it that's that's you know is a worthy conversation but like from a from a health and safety standpoint it's no question the players are way safer in there than they would be outside especially the players showed a base positive rate of like seven percent coming in yeah for a total population of people and now they're at zero which is i mean that's amazing yeah i think the bubble is certainly like the um the method to follow um major league soccer is has been doing the same thing they started a bit earlier they had some stuff early on where like two entire teams had to drop out entirely of the of of the mls's back tournament or whatever it's called um, but since then it's been like super smooth and, um, same thing with, with the NBA. And so, um, it seems like as other leagues, which we'll get to, um, after we talk about jazz, we want to go over PAC 12 stuff, but like, as we see other leagues, like major league baseball, trying to do the normal major league baseball type of thing, um, it's, it's going to get bad. And I don't think it's going to last long, especially with those, um, the trajectory it's on. And like you said, like the NBA players are seemingly safer um, <laughs> inside the bubble, which makes sense. There's a lot less contact with anyone else. And I think um, people are punished pretty heavily, even for like stepping outside um, a couple of feet to get a DoorDash order or something. So Sean Holmes got 10 days, 10 yeah. day quarantine Ooh. for step for literally like a few feet over the line. Got his corn, got his DoorDash is it was some wings or something. I don't know. Like, <laughs> They've they've taken it seriously. They they ran. Yeah. They've been the same with stars. Like Lou Williams got the same thing. He got mm. ten days for going into the the. Oh, we talked it. We, we talked in depth Magic about the Lou City. Of course. Um. Yeah. That 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 was classic. But like I, a big piece of this and like the the players getting getting back. I wonder what players, how much pressure or how willing players would have been to go into this bubble situation, um, if there weren't this parallel story of. Black Lives Matter and all of the social movements alongside that that are that's taking place along all of this coronavirus stuff and I think both are kind of accentuating each other but um, we have this parallel thing going on and players in the league um, you know arguably however important you think that that is and these things are um, are taking this moment to you know turn this into um a lot of messaging for things people find um you know important we we talked last time about like what all the jazz or two times ago i can't remember what all the jazz players are putting on the jerseys and why they're doing it like donovan mitchell's um reference to brianna taylor um mike conley talking about the the memphis workers strike um 
yeah, some of them are kind of funny. Like we saw what Gordon Hayward, who also I think George Niang too, has education reform, which is such a I in my mind is such a funny thing because like um, Betsy DeVos is probably into education reform too, but just a different kind. So <laughs> the vagueness of that that kind of cracks me up. But um, overall, we've kind of seen like the normal reactions from everyone that you could probably assume like it's the same like the same things they said about Kaepernick. It's the same things they'll always say. And I think the reaction has been pretty, uh, is anyone surprised? Really? I think it's pretty much exactly how it's been going. Yeah. I mean, I would like, I actually would like to think that like we, you mentioned echo chambers before Mm -hmm. we get into those for sure. I'd like to think that overall there has been a shift in, in consciousness over, like there's a there's a there's a, been greater support for black lives matter over the last few months than than ever mm-hmm. like the, the the movement itself or like thoughts around that so that's certainly like um and i think that is going to play a big part in as to why i think donald trump's going to lose this fall but like um people don't like these types of escalations and i think that there are a lot of regular people um that are probably going to vote against donald trump this fall that see they're just insane shit on their TV all the time and cops beating shit out of people or arresting reporters when that was actually being put on um, mainstream news that like, I think a lot of people, as you said, like are more sympathetic and there is a change of mindset. Um, I don't know how much that changes structurally in a lot of ways, but like, I think it's certainly, um, that's certainly the trend of what's happening. Mitt Romney was at a Black Lives Matter protest for God's sakes. And if he thinks that's a safe thing for him to do politically, then you know that there's, in some measurable shift. I think the biggest thing that we're going to see is particularly with direct practical impact on Donald Trump losing the election, as you mentioned. Yeah. The, is the, the impact is going to have on the vote. Uh, not just like the awareness part of it, but the like multiple NBA teams are converting their stadiums into voting. Centers. Oh yeah. The, the Hawks were the first one, but then the Kings and uh, there's another one, but I'm forgetting who it is. And, all the work that LeBron James has been doing along with voting. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like that stuff in the end, like a big part of the reason Donald Trump won in 2016 is because of how well they suppressed the vote. Like that was their best job. That was and we massive. know that that's how that's, mm-hmm. I mean, whatever happens this fall with like vote by mail or whatever, the only tactic Republicans have left at this point is suppressing the vote. Like there's oh, yeah. no other chance they have. At, they at, have to do a better job than they did in 2016, which things the are, yeah. because they did such a good job in 2016. Like it was absurd. Frankly, yeah. like hats off to them. I, I know how it's evil, like it's absurd and ridiculous, but like it's their strategy for winning. And Frank, like it was, they did an amazing job in 2016. Cool. But this time, I think the deck stacked against them. And a lot, is. like um, the NBA is not the reason for that, but the stuff like this sure doesn't hurt. Like yeah. and the, the level of awareness that's placed on this stuff. And I think, I think the some of the best parts of the black lives black lives matter movement excuse me have been the ones that have focused really really heavily on the voting side of things like that's the one that's going to have the biggest practical impact in all this and that's going to really change the the stuff on the ground in the country so that's the those are the parts when i see those with the nba that i'm the most kind of like proud of i'm like that's to they have any kind of association with the league even in my case if it's yeah. like that's that's cool yeah, and we and we and we talk about an echo chamber too, especially on social media and all that. And I honestly think that while well, all the comments about like the Jazz's Instagram page and all that too, like 
I honestly feel there's been some seismic shifts away from like whatever MAGA Patriot 1776 will put underneath Donovan Mitchell's Instagram posts. So I think yeah. we're, we're heading into a mm-hmm. new territory, which is kind of exciting in a lot of ways. We're, we're definitely in like the HR safe territory where like the jazz account feel, can like Angie can feel comfortable running the account and like talking shit to people who are making stupid comments. Like I'm glad, I'm glad that can, that can happen. Um, but yeah, with like the vote suppression and all of that, like the voting rights act was completely gutted. So like the project is to close as many polling places as possible. It's to, I mean, um, well, you're seeing it, you're seeing it right now with the, like the full fledged attack that Trump's, uh, waging with mail-in ballots. Well, the post office in general. So like, yeah, it's been and then getting scrapping the project. post office. Yeah, it's yeah. been a decade decades long project to destroy the the United States Postal Service. They're the only organization, government, or private that I'm aware of. I definitely know other government ones where they're required to pre-fund their pensions for like 75 years or something, which means they're definitionally operating at a deficit. But really, they actually make all their operating costs enough just through selling stamps. But like the Republicans say, can can say how much money they lose every year because they have to pre-fund out their their pensions. So there's been all these like dumbass little things that they've been doing to attack the post office forever. But more damage has been done in the last few months to the post office than like ever before. Trump's has a. Um, a postmaster general that he's picked and they're they're doing so much shit to just like make things slower make things difficult not approve people working certain hours and just make things as hard as possible and going into this fall so i'm still optimistic though yeah no, no I, just, I, absolutely. I am too i, I there, there's be enough there's way too much against them and quite honestly um i mean the post office is in the constitution but i mean it doesn't there's no, one, a, no one really gives a shit about the Constitution, clearly. But. There's a part of me that actually thinks that their tactic to try and destroy like mail voting is gonna is kind of kind of backfire on them too. Because yeah. what they've done is they've also just talked their own like base who skews heavily towards absentee balloting to not trust their own ballots. So mm-hmm. they're exactly. there there's a large chunk of the population that might not even vote at all because they think like well, if I use this ballot, it's just going to count for some sort of communist Marxist candidates in, I don't know, Vermont. Yeah. <laughs> I think between that and the just the general groundswell of awareness that it's that the whole the last several months have raised overall, and not even yeah. just the last several months, the last four years, but but especially the last several months, like it's I think it's going to have going to easily outweigh the efforts that they're trying to make because everybody knows that that's the playbook this time around. Like frankly, they kind of did a good job of throwing everybody off that scent last time and yeah. it worked really well in their favor. And this time there's kind of nowhere to hide with it. Like there's, you know, it'll take something fairly blatant or a, a major change, obviously in the public. We're well outside the margins for error in a lot of these States where it's like, if it, if all those go, it's not, it isn't remotely close. Totally. Yeah. I, I think where, where it might get, tricky is when it gets down if it gets down to certain counties and there being um certain hand-picked judges by the uh trump administration might have a sway like the um but you know we'll see Um, broward county work broward county judges so goes the nation (laughs) yes exactly um that's not gonna matter yeah i i I mean if biden goes in texas it's just like cool we're done here yeah i think at a certain point too there's a lot of people who just be like I'm done with this. I am tired of like just seeing dread in the news every single day. Like yeah, g- give me, give me a present I can easily ignore. 
Yeah, there's a huge chunk of the country just just wants to be able to ignore this shit. Not if there's any family. fans who loses Utah this time, like that they actually go for Biden instead of the independent candidate to middle out all the votes. Yeah, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think there's a chance that that anyone but Trump yeah. wins Utah just yeah. because. I guess I'm curious to see what happens though when it's the it's. I think Trump's definitely going to win, but I, I think that um, like I'd be curious to see how close Biden gets because it's not Hillary Clinton this time, and the only person that people here hated i think probably hillary clinton was probably the most hated person in utah in 2016 but um so talking about the nba voting all that um let's talk about the jazz real quick um so the jazz lost (laughs) again tonight um and you know things are kind of weird right now we've got some like a pretty weak bench um we can't make threes we're all so missing Boyan. like um what do you think's going on with jazz right now like what are you thinking um is is working not working um do you think that they could turn it on for for the rest of this this tournament i think the bench is like by far the biggest could uh you know repeatable issue at this point they are missing a ton of threes but it's well it it's gonna have to change and i do think it will change like a lot of these are just they have a bunch. They have a bunch of really good shooters, and they're getting really good shots generated. I've been tweeting about it a bunch tonight. They're, I mean, and I have access to. I'm lucky to have access to some of the advanced tracking data, and they're like they've generated the best shot quality in the league so far yeah. in Orlando on the restart. They're just missing a lot. It happens. It's better to have it now, I guess, than when it really matters. But the that bench stuff is stuff that's not going to change. Tony Bradley was better against the Lakers, but still really rough in that third quarter. Moutier's been like probably the worst rotation player in the league during the restart. I've like, and I can, I think I can maybe say that reliably because I've been watching an absurd amount of basketball. I think I've seen every team at least once, if not, and most teams several times. Like the, I, he's been so bad. Uh, Niang has missed pretty much all his shots and usually doesn't give you much on defense, unfortunately. Like, that's Watching him bigger. guard LeBron was hilarious. Yeah, oh, that was unfortunate. <laughs> I, you know, I, what I honestly, I do think there are some rays of like sunlight. You know, when it gets into the playoffs, Quinn can stretch the bench. Moutier doesn't have to play. You can go down to eight. Uh, Gobert and Mitchell can both play 40 minutes a night. And then you've only got to manage a few a game, a few minutes a half with Bradley or yeah. even Juan Morgan. If they play Houston, I bet Morgan plays at center instead of Bradley off the bench. Uh, but they don't want God. They don't want to play Houston, anybody but Houston. Uh, yeah. Overall, like I think they could turn. Like I don't know exactly what turn it around means. Like because I think, frankly, this stage is as much about looking and feeling comfortable. Which, to, frankly, in that aspect, I was pretty pleased with the Lakers game. They they had one really poor stretch with the bench in that third and fourth quarter that lost them the game there. Other I also that, really don't complain about refs very often, but like I was just like pretty baffled. By it wasn't a great refs. game. No, you, everybody knows my thing with the refs. I'm, I'm a supporter for the most part, and I don't. Yeah. But overall, I think it definitely favored the there Lakers. There were a lot of, I, mean, I think it favored uh, the Lakers as well, but like it, there was a lot of like waiting to see if the, the ball goes in the hoop and then yeah. calling it, which is always kind of a weird sign. And the then he doesn't oh, like that. The league yeah. is not big. On, well, the league's okay with letting a ref take a second to make his decision, like to process what he saw and make his decision. But they yeah. don't want him. They don't want him waiting to see if it, if the basket went. Yeah. Or not. That, Sometimes people get the wrong impression of what that is. But yeah, gotcha. like they're overall, I was actually pretty impressed. Like they pretty much played the Lakers even for mm-hmm. like 
three and a half quarters. Despite Clarkson that. going like one for 15. Yeah, Clarkson was, yeah, he's been really rough. But again, I don't actually think he'll stay that bad. I, they're shooting. I, I don't know think so either. Bad. And they've been, they've had some stretches where they've looked pretty damn good when they've had the main guys on the floor. And you, you have the main guys on the floor a lot more in the playoffs. The right matchup and the right injury, they could definitely win a round or two. There's no question. They're, I don't think they're ex- – I think I probably came into the bubble maybe giving them like three or 4% title chances where now I'd be back down to like two or one, which is – that's a nerdy distinction. But like they're – you know, they yeah. – I thought it was maybe like a weirdo outside chance. I definitely didn't think Bojan was going to hurt them as much as it looks like early on it kind of mm-hmm. has – Although again, I don't know. I kind of resist the narrative that he's the that him missing is the problem, except for the part yeah. that where he makes it so guys like Moutier have to play more. That's one part where Hitler missing Bojan like really hurts. The missing open threes part, they got a whole bunch of other guys that can make open threes. They're just not right now. They, yeah. The the bigger part is they lose the size and they have to play guys like Moutier and Morgan and Brad and uh, Niang more often, which is like that's in the end that's a net negative. Yeah, I'm a, I'm famous. I think the three of us are famously negative about the Jazz, um, <laughs> despite Jordan wearing a Jazz shirt. Um, but and I think we've all accepted the fact that like following the Jazz is a form of um, mental illness, and it's it's painful. Kyle, behind uh, every scene, there's a, there's a deeply disturbed idealist. It is too bad about Bogey, especially this restart, because like it does up the variability. Like mm-hmm. the, this whole this whole format, yeah, I don't think he quite made them like real title contenders. But it's one the right guy turning his ankle or something. Like for instance, I think the Jazz as currently constructed with Bogdanovich could beat the Clippers in the series, and would be like no worse than like forty percent to do so in a series. But they, yeah, they probably won't get that far, and it wouldn't matter because they don't have Bogdanovich. It's kind of too bad. There's this was one of those years where the window might have been a little more open than it is in most, but they probably the Jazz probably had their eye more on next year anyway, with it being the second year of all these guys. They kind of view it in like two year chunks at this point, and that's the like next year's the big one as far as it's probably the last really really good year you get out of Conley and Ingles because they're both getting old, and like yeah you gotta maximize that. Because it's also the last one before Mitchell and Gobert both get paid more money, or are playing for different teams, possibly in Rudy's case. Although I don't think that's happening. Yeah, I'd be I'd be surprised. Greg, what were your thoughts on that game? Tell us. I, I know how much you love the Lakers. <laughs> uh, I think that Anthony Davis is very good at basketball. Yeah. That's true. I think I think that LeBron James is really good at basketball. Um, and yeah, I thought that. It was it was the bench being being the Achilles heel. I thought the the starters played well. I thought Rudy had a good game. I thought that Conley Conley had what like twenty and eight, which is the first time he's done that in a Jazz uniform. Like Conley, early on, a lot of things were pointed at him for being the problem. He has not been a problem uh, really at all since the All Star break. He's been great in the bubble. Um, Donnie, I thought had a good game, but I think the bench was just just overmatched the Lakers are really good and they're really deep yeah it's tough Anthony Davis is like you when you play pickup with us Greg (laughs) I think you're you're being way too kind 
Ah, Greg's we, got we, like with us. I'm saying with us specifically. Like, <laughs> we like just too big. There's a little too much athleticism there. He's There's just not tall. quite anybody on the court to deal with it. You Have know? you seen his son? His son is really tall too. Too, and he's too. My he's son said, is the size of like a regular size four year old at two and a half. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I always and think so, he's older than he is because he's he's. We're working on we're working on the jumper right now. Nice. Yeah. My biggest thing is that I never learned to actually shoot a real jumper when I was a kid. So that's why it's so janky. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. I haven't played basketball in so long since I, and I got contacts now too. So I I should be better now. Um, I know that's like, I miss playing basketball with other people might be like the single thing I miss the most out of this. Yeah, man. I'm right there with you. Yeah. This, this, this sucks. But I mean, speaking of putting ourselves in bad situations, let's quickly talk about PAC 12 and what's happening um, and what they're deciding with, uh, or what they're trying to do with, with collegiate football this year. Jordan, do you want to walk us through it? Cause yeah, I know absolutely. How, how passionate um, you are as a, a university of Utah grad student. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think this came out what yesterday or Sunday or yeah, it was yesterday. Uh uh, Pac-12 uh, Student Athlete Association came out with a bunch of demands asking for protection and also for revenue sharing of the Pac-12 schools with student athletes as well, especially football for, I think, what they're talking about. And I think it's a huge step because this is the first time we've had like a conference-wide sort of like athletic association of like people like uniting together. I know we saw like Northwestern trying like unionize their football team as well, trying to ask for concessions from their, from their university, but it's never been conference wide. And I think this is going to be kind of a, kind of a groundswell moment that might change college sports forever. Like mm-hmm. the, the way I kind of think about this is kind of like the same way of like a Kurt flood moment where it's not going to change things right now. But this is something that's going to change things 10 years or 20 years down the road. It's laying the groundwork for sure. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's really impressive, too. And now you're seeing, like, backlash against it, too, from oh, – you see a bunch of fans who say, like, well, I'll never support college football ever again, too. It's like, well, they said the same thing about professional baseball when free agency came about. doesn't matter. And you'll also see coaches, too. Like, I think Washington, Washington State's coach has been, like – actively going after players who were a part of this too and pretty much saying like do you really want this trouble for doing this he's pulling a day players wasn't there somewhere where players got cut um i don't think any players have gotten cut or anything like that year but so far it's just been kind of like thinly veiled threats oh okay i i thought i saw that i must be mistaken i thought i saw that there had been a place where some players actively got cut no, not yet, but Washington oh, State's man. coach is definitely doing some uh, – essentially, you can probably – well, in any other workplace, you'd call it union busting, but this is yeah. well, this is yeah. not technically employees, and it's not technically My people God. who have it rights. It is union busting, except that you can't union bust people, uh, non-employees. People don't make a salary. We, okay, so, yeah, and I think that's a, that's a big piece of that, obviously. Um, so, over the weekend, I was talking uh, to my, my mom – my mom's like a huge podcast head for some reason, but cause she runs a lot, but she, um, I got her to listen to, um, a player for RSL. His name is Nada Manoha. He, 
Um, he's from England. He's um, his family's Nigerian, but he he plays for RSL now, and he has a really great podcast. Um, and he speaks to all the kinds of people, mainly like a lot of players that play in like the Premier League where he used to play as well in England. But one of his early interviews was with Zach Moss, and I told my mom to listen to that episode, and she was she's like a pretty conservative lady, but she was talking to me about how like Zach in that episode with Nadam was talking about how he's like the player. He's one of the players at, at the time at the university of Utah who had it the best. He had like the most scholarship you could have. He had the most people taking care of him. Um, all of that, um, you know, making sure that he succeeds and he only, he got like a super small stipend every month. Um, and he was the player that had it the best. So he was telling Nadam about how like hard it is, even for him, someone who theoretically is in the best possible situation in, in his position. Um, like he was just like driving like a really old car, hoping it didn't break down because if it did, he, like he didn't have like the stipend wasn't enough for him to live and take care of anything that might come up. There was no like emergency fund or anything like that. Um, and so my mom was like telling me about how like, fucked up it is that like players have to deal with that even the ones that have it the best and i was like yeah exactly and then now basically we know how much the ncaa values their non-employees um that they're trying to they're just trying to go forward with things semi as normal i think they're probably doing stadiums at like three-quarter capacity but who knows i don't even know if that's a thing and it's not gonna work like Rutgers football right now has 28 positive cases among their football players. There's what, 110, 120 players on a team. So you're looking at at least like 20% of your team that's already just out of out of the running already, even before you even kick the ball off the first time. College football's not happening. My thoughts about the what NCAA are well documented. Give us some overview for us. <laughs> well, I mean, I... I, the NCAA is evil. It's yeah, pure evil. I once did a poll. It was one of my more, like, one of the biggest polls I think I ever did on Twitter in terms of the number of people that voted in it, which was what's the most corrupt organization just in general. And I think the choices were FIFA, <laughs> NCAA. Um, oh, shit. Oh, what man. were the other ones? Deutsche Bank or something. It's funny. It's no, like sports is- <laughs> It was, it was all sports Enron. organizations. Oh, gotcha. I mean, uh, it is funny to put like FIFA against NCAA because like FIFA, like giving away World Cups to countries for bribes in order so they can use slave labor to build stadiums. Right. Oh, or, IOC. That was the other one. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Or NCAA, who's basically doing the same-ish thing, indentured servitude for an education so you can make the NCAA. The NCAA is straight up a plantation. <laughs> Dude, no. I, I don't, it's fucking disgusting. It's Let's it, just it, call it what it is. It fits the car, the definition of a cartel to a T. Oh, <laughs> oh, in that interview too, Zach Moss was talking about how many players or how many fans he would see with his jersey in the stadium. And he was like, sick <laughs> that reminds me of a story i want to tell real quick because yeah. i remember i remember doing this you guys remember todd Gurley? yeah he plays in the oh, yeah. nfl now he, he recently played for the rams i forgot which team he's i think he just moved on um but he played for the university of georgia uh, a few years back and at during his time at georgia there was a little bit of a scandal and he had to miss a couple of games because he got paid for signing some merchandise he signed some some jerseys and 
I don't know, some some other bullshit merch and got a little bit of money for it. And NCAA found out and they suspended him. During when that story came out, I actually went on to the University of Georgia's website and <clears throat> went to their bookstore and they were selling Todd Gurley's uh, replica jersey for $90 a pop. That's so cool. I think how, I think the how rule, is that even a thing? How is I that think possible? the rule they changed is that now when you go to the NCAA's web store, you can't type in a player's name and it directly takes you to them, but you could still like go to the team and get the number. You just can't search by their name. Yes. Yeah, you can get the custom jerseys, but they can't do like player numbers per se anymore. Like if you go to like the Utah bookstore and like for a jersey too, they'll have like 11 for Alex Smith, even though he's been gone for like 15 years, but it's like the current font too. Or if you get like a basketball jersey, it'd be 42 for like the year they won the national championship, but they can't do directly a player's number. Yeah. Oh, that's much better. That's great. Yeah. Basically the problem solved, but like, I love how they go through all of this extra work to make it harder instead of just like letting players make money off their own likeness, because that would literally be the worst thing in the world for them, because then they would be on a very slippery slope to being having to pay people who make them millions and billions of dollars. But Kyle, think about how amateurism is spoiled by kids getting a little <laughs> bit of money in their pocket too. Anyway, um, I hope not, this doesn't spoil like the Chick-fil-A kickoff classic or all the way to like the Nokia sugar bowl or it, it's insane to me because it's like, we well, we in the NCAA believe in, you know, professionalism and the, and the purity of amateurism. The, and and like just the value of academia like they think it's like this like weird like harvard yale leatherheads back in like the early 1900s or something the way they talk about it's so annoying as if they haven't sold every single thing they possibly could to any corporate sponsor oh man yeah all you have to look is all you have to look is that that u.s map that has like who is the highest paid state employee in every single state and it's always football coach basketball coach football coach basketball coach football coach basketball coach it's the NCAA really does feel like one of those organizations that you actually could just burn to the ground and actually start completely over oh absolutely Okay, we're talking CIA, Department of Homeland Security, and the NCAA. Let's just wipe them all out. <laughs> Let's go. Nano snap. Let's go. What's funny is the NCAA is a way longer institution than uh, Department of Homeland Security. but Or CIA. Okay. The, the NCAA yeah, has, CIA. Been, has 40 years on the CIA and uh, 104 on, on, on Homeland Security. But, oh. Yeah, so... You know, I think I think my parting words. I'll, I'll I'll give Ben some parting words as well before before we say goodnight. But uh, abolish the NCAA, please. Yeah, I'm all for that. Like, I don't even think it's that unrealistic either. A lot of times when people make cries for things like that, they're really unrealistic. It's like I don't think it'd be that crazy to just set up something pretty much entirely new that actually serves the the both the athletes that are going to be moving on without. you know without much of a full-time education and the ones that are there to get to play sports while getting a full-time education which is a lot of people i think the nba is already doing that too with the g league yeah they pretty much are like they're working like within the next few years a lot of efforts like that will delegitimize large chunks of the ncaa to begin with and they'll have to adapt out of necessity as much as anything 
Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, when the Jazz just played the Pelicans the other day, I, um, I was talking to my mom again. This is a mom heavy episode, but I, I, she, she was asking about Zion Williamson and, um, she remembered that like incident where they were playing North Carolina last year and like his, his Paul George Nikes exploded when he like cut and, uh, how scared, like, even though he didn't get like seriously injured or anything, um, despite looking like his like, uh, ankle, you know, just completely gave out. Um, it was like a huge thing where it's like, why, why the hell is this kid even playing college basketball? Like someone who was hyped, hasn't been hyped up as much as like, no one's been hyped up as much as him since LeBron. Like, why is this even a thing? He's playing yeah, but for now free. They can, as you mentioned, they can go to the G league yep. and they can make amounts comparable to <laughs> what's funny about it is they, the NCAA or sorry, not the NCAA, the, the G league and the NBA by extension, they knew they had basically the number that they had to get to for these top guys in terms of what they'd pay them. We're talking about the 18 year olds straight out of high school guys who can't Uh go to the NBA, but can play in the G league for one year and then get drafted is there. Like you got to pay them basically comparable to what they were getting paid under the table previously. (laughs) No one's going to take a pay cut to go to the G league. (laughs) But but now that they can pay them four or 500 grand a year, that now you're yeah. at that threshold. Yeah. Between that and the endorsements that they can legally now get, you're mm-hmm. at you're right at easily at that threshold. But that's probably around what Zion made would be my guess. Guys in that top tier, like that's around usually you hear whether it's not whether it's straight cash or some of it is housing or car or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like uh-huh. that's pretty much the standard. And which is that's the joke of the whole thing anyway, is that it's all under the table money. If the money's there still. Like yeah. don't anyone let anyone tell you there's not money in the NCAA. It's just not none of it's legal. It's still yeah. happening all the time. Like that now that there's legal avenues for players to get that, plus get the exposure, play on an NBA court with NBA trainers. You don't have to worry about school that's fake that you're then you don't you know you don't care about anyway. Like yeah, that'll delegitimize yeah. chunks of the NBA of the NCAA for sure. Godspeed, honestly, because <laughs> she can't go away fast enough. Um, ben, thank you for coming on tonight. Um, we'll have to talk again when, uh, you know, when the entire world is like probably worse in two months from now, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> but uh, hopefully we have some um, playoff jazz basketball to talk about. Yeah, for sure. So I think it's all about matchups for them. But yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. It's been a fun time. No problem, yeah, Greg and Jordan. Any, any parting words, my friends? Send Mark Emmer to the Hague. There we go. <laughs> anybody but Houston. And that's, um, that's the one right there. Anybody but Houston. And you know, we opened the episode talking about our our boy Wilfred Brimley. We lost another one recently. I can't remember if we talked about it. Um, Herman Cain. So we opened on a death. We'll, we'll end with another one. Um, I, I saw a good tweet that described it perfectly. It said, um, you know, Herman Cain was once the CEO of Godfather's Pizza, but now he is eating pizza with God the Father. In the <laughs> so uh, I think that's where we can end it tonight. Have you ever had the dessert pizza at Godfather's? Is that even the place still? Oh, it's fine. I don't think it is anymore, but it was a real treat when I was like eight. Well, I have celiac disease. Um, so that's that's where I'm gonna leave that. But uh it's been a pleasure, everyone. Uh have have a good night. Thanks, fellas. Bye.